the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. You know, over the years, I've had the privilege of knowing some uh, amazing people. One of them was Herman Cain, who unfortunately uh, died this uh, past fall. He was the former CEO of Godfather's Pizza, battled and beat cancer, ran for president in 2012, was a talk radio host for many years. He's an amazing man whose life embodied the values we all strive to live and pass along to our friends, children, grandchildren, belief in God, the power of personal responsibility, hard work, good education, living each day, thankfully. Poor to CEO is one of the most inspirational, entertaining films of the year. And you can watch it right now at SalemNow.com. That's SalemNow.com. Use the promo code Phoenix and save 20%. Watch Poor to CEO, the Herman Cain story at SalemNow.com. Two other amazing people in my life are Hugh and Lewis Hallman. And um, back together again, we've been uh, we've been one at a timing with you over the last month because of different travel and life schedules in the case of Lewis, uh, who is now um, married. Congratulations again on that, Lewis. Uh, Lewis is the managing director of Insight Analytics. Insight is spelled I-N-C-I-T-E. InsightAnalyticsLLC.com is his website. Hugh Hallman is the former mayor of Tempe, an attorney, an educator, uh, my running partner. We had a great run on Sunday. My gosh, that was really a lot of fun. We did it to celebrate Frank Sinatra's birthday. One day late, but nonetheless. One day late, nonetheless. We were running, blasting Sinatra past a couple, and we told him it was Sinatra's birthday. And you said, you know, it, it's, it's a day after. I said, I think we'll be okay. And, and I think we'll be okay. We're old guys, so blasting meant we are not might, old guys. You might have heard it if you were five feet away. We are not old Us, guys. It was blasting Seth, because old is a relative term. Yeah, yeah. He may be old. I'm not. Old. <laughs> I'm a lot and, older than you. That's and, true. And then we had a great meal at a great place. I want to mention the name because we love to support local businesses. Can I? Please. Can I support? So, uh, if you're in real. Tempe and you want a good meal, a really good meal, a great meal at a diner, breakfast and lunch, it's Harlow's. H-A-R-L-O-W... Apostrophe S, like Gene Harlow. H-A-R-L-O-W, apostrophe S, Harlow's. It's a great place. John is the proprietor there. His family has owned it since uh, before Reagan was president. And uh, just, it's a great restaurant, Harlow's. Okay, gentlemen. It was lovely. Yeah, it was great. It was great. The menu, you want to order everything on the menu. You really do. It's a Ron Swanson special. People who know Parks and Rec will know what I mean. Ron Swans, you know the show? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, let's talk COVID, gentlemen. A lot has happened since we've all been together, and a lot has not happened that people want us to think of ha- has happened. Let me start with... I would start with Lewis okay. because he Sorry. has, to give him <laughs> the credit he is due, yeah. the data analysis that's going on and pretending to be real uh, is nonsense because... Uh, the people like our state newspaper of record continue to pick up daily reports as if they are reflective of what's gone on in the recent times. Okay. And Lewis did an analysis for today's show just to prove how absolutely bizarre and uh, how 
gravely failing our newspapers and people who are using this information have uh, served our communities. Okay. I'd actually go a little bit beyond that, if I may. You it's may. not just the papers that are the issue. The, the issue is also in the academic literature mm-hmm. with regards to how point. the data is being stored and processed. Because all the journalists are effectively, in this case, are mouthpieces for other bad information. These are not the people who are coming up with the analysis themselves. They're not tracking the data themselves. They're hoovering up some other third-party source. And it's typically with, with these sources that I have to take a lot but of they could umbrage. ask questions. You know, you know when I used to put out, when I used to put out to data on stuff the journalists didn't like, they would drill me like nobody's business for show me where it says that, show me how you got that, does that match with this? I don't think we're getting that right Especially now. if it's in the narrative, in the style of the narrative yeah. they're trying to promote. And that's maybe the point I'm making is that we have lost the idea of news and replaced news with editorializing. So, yes, there's an editorial page in most publications, but it used to be the case that generally what was reported as news had been cleansed of the bias. And the failure to ask questions, as will be demonstrated by what Lewis has gone through to provide good information, demonstrates that bias. So the issue that we have is really one of data management. And it's a, it's an issue that I've spoken about at some length on the show before. Uh, so determined listeners will probably remember it. But the issue is that many aggregators of COVID information are taking the summary page from the Arizona Department of Health Services. And every other state's equivalent. every state, right? And they're, they're, there is a little uh, uh, area on the summary that says daily COVID cases. Mm-hmm daily deaths and daily tests, right? And so they're taking these variables and they're recording them uh, every day, whatever the daily changes, and they're using that to construct their data sets for which they'll then then use, uh, um, you know, for all of their analysis and all of their reporting and all the rest of it. Now, the problem is that as as AZDHS itself confirms those daily changes are not actually reflective of what has happened that particular day. And I'm going to fix that for you. You said those daily changes. The daily report of the deaths we are, quote, reporting today, the cases we are reporting today, those are, by the- are not today's or yesterday's deaths or cases. They are all the cases and uh, deaths they're reporting for the day, but they report what, Lou? So they report... Uh, those are the um, sort of observed daily change rather than the the attributed daily change. And so what I mean by that is that if I see that today there have been 60 deaths reported, none of those 60 deaths actually occurred today. They occurred anywhere between any, – any time between yesterday and potentially as far back as two months ago. Or with, February 1st. With most of the results ranging between, say, uh, uh, seven and 14 days prior, give or take – so when you say daily, t- he means the stuff that's reported today didn't happen today. Right. We're it told happened, brand, uh, record number of cases yesterday. Record number of cases yesterday. yesterday record number record of number deaths of uh, reported yesterday. But that's not the day on which those occurred. It's not yesterday's deaths. It's the compilation of all the deaths people figured out that occurred in all prior periods from the beginning of the pandemic 
to yesterday. So let me give a concrete example here. Um, RT.live is a site that has been creating, uh, basically doing an analysis to calculate the reproduction rate of the virus over time, How many, which is to say how many expected cases that you get from every current positive case. So if your so, RT is 1.5, then that means that every COVID case currently is expected to generate one and a half new ones. In this, other words, I'm going to put it back in English. If I have COVID today, it's likely that I'll cause one and a half more people right. to get COVID. So two of us are going to cause three more people to get COVID. So this, the speed of the disease is positive because I'm infecting more people than just one person. And if you get that RT that are not below one, that means I infect fewer than one people. So the disease is starting to die off. Right. That's correct. Yes. But so in calculating this, they then got they actually list all of their data, which is very commendable. You can go through by day and see how many tests are reported as positive that day and how many cases are. As an example, let's look at, at a day in early December. I believe it was the fourth when they listed 12,000 positive covid cases over 18,000 de- uh, tests. Now, that in sounds Arizona, yeah. in Arizona. Now, that sounds ridiculous and cataclysmic, frankly, because... Yeah, that's a positivity rate we've never seen. Exactly, of 60%. Now, if you were to look at the AZDHS data, you would find no single day in our records matching that instance, nothing even close to it. And if you actually dial down into why those numbers are the way they are, Dr. Kara Chris, the head of AZDHS, actually released a statement explaining why the numbers were so high that day, and it had to do with lag from the Thanksgiving break, mm-hmm. causing a bunch of, of positive results not to be reported. That until is then. to say, people for the state who are ga- gathering the data, accumulating it, didn't work Thanksgiving Day or the Friday after Thanksgiving Day or the Saturday or the Sunday. So all of the positive cases got all reported in a big lump. Right. That's correct. But the problem also is, is that 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 error from uh, uh, not doing things the same day is a different rate for the tests and the cases, right? Okay. So that means then that you can't just you know multiply by a standard result and get what the correct data is. It changes day by day because of sort of the randomness that's baked into this process. And so there isn't a really way to disentangle this unless you literally go back every day and use the epi curve, which they're not doing. And mm-hmm. so all of the results are incorrect. All of them. I want to pick up on that. I want to talk about hospitals. I want to talk about the vaccine. I want to talk about all of it. And I want to invite calls to 602-508-0960. I'm Seth Liebson. They are Lewis and Hugh Hallman. And we will be right back. Someday we're going to get Lewis to appreciate this kind of music. Uh, that day won't necessarily be today. Uh, welcome back. Lewis, you're on a roll here because you're building to an important uh, set of conclusions that the people of Arizona need to know. So I don't want to interrupt. Keep going. So when we before we left, we were discussing the fact that the the changes that are reported daily by the Arizona Department of Health Services are not, in fact, the total daily effect of the virus, but rather the collection of all positive results, either tests, cases, or deaths that are have been collected from previous dates and then are submitted and reported on that specific day. Right. And, and here's the, I'm going to make this point real. The longer the p- pandemic, in quotation marks, goes on, the worse that gets because there weren't cases or deaths from SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus before February 1st. Right. But since then, 
that period gets longer and longer and longer. So they have more time to find people who died, find cases that they didn't report, and then lump them in a day and report them. Sure. That's accurate. Yes. Uh, So but with this, uh, we what we've done is we've sort of taken the pandemic and and split it in half just to sort of give you. We haven't. Lewis did. He did all this work. (laughs) Okay. okay. Just to give you sort of an intuitive sense of how this works. So if if you were to look and and use July 28th, 2020 as your cutoff, then you would have, have seen reported all the way up until July 28th were a total of 3,408 COVID deaths. In Arizona. In Arizona. And since then, there have been reported through these observed daily changes again, a further 4,014 COVID deaths. Which now, would make me think right? more it's deaths. gotten worse. Exactly. Right. And right. in fact, if you were to check the daily rate of death just across those two periods, you would get from the start of this in March up until July 28th, you would get a daily rate of 23 deaths per day across the state. Okay. And since between July 28th and now, you would get 29 deaths per day. Well, it's gotten worse. It's, it's gotten, gotten worse. worse. It's right. gotten worse. We're all going to die. However, if you account for the fact that a full 890 of those deaths that are, have been reported since July 28th actually happened before July 28th. And put them on the right dates. And correct for that, then you would get a total of... 29 deaths per day before and 23 20. after. Doing it's better. gotten significantly we're actually better. doing better if you look at it in real time. Correct. What you would also get, though, if you were to, to make those comparisons, is that our total testing has increased yep. by about 50% since the last big spike. Although, and for instance, if you look at the Maricopa County data set uh, on, their, on their website, you'll find that daily deaths at the height of that last spike were about 60 deaths per day in Maricopa County. Now, currently, and even even a full week ago, they were 20. Mm-hmm. It's a full two-thirds less mm-hmm. than we, we had had, despite the fact that we're seeing similar numbers of hospitalizations and, in fact, more positive, te- uh, uh, more positive cases. And, yes, and Will Humboldt, we're we, looking know that, for. We, we know there's a delay, but the, the point Lewis is making about the cases is that there's been an identical increase in the proportion of cases as there has been of testing. Uh-huh. So in this instance, contrary to people beating up President Trump previously, Actually, if I may, the, the rate of test increase has exceeded the rate of case increase, implying so to me... So give them the exact numbers. So um, if you look, uh, uh, before the 28th of July, 2020, you would see that we were testing about 7,500 tests a day and getting about 1,100 positive results mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Now, however, we're, we're testing an average of 13,000 tests per day between the 28th of July and Almost now. doubled. Not almost quite, doubled. but almost doubled. And then we're seeing 1,850 positive cases. So only about a 50% increase, mm-hmm. in fact. So the result is that even though we're testing twice as many people, we're not finding twice as many cases. We're finding 75% And that's a good. That total. That's That means news. the positivity has actually fallen. Not gone up, contrary to the reporting that you see, like uh, the Arizona Republic columnist saying that our R not is the worst in the country. That R not calculation was from the very same website Lewis described as using the wrong data because they do not correct for the fact that on a given day the reporting is piling in deaths and cases uh, and 
and uh, tests from an entire period beforehand, not from just the prior day. And I said, as I said before, this is really an elementary error in data management. The biggest thing that I have learned, you know, performing analysis my entire adult life is that how you ask the question sure. is important, is as important, if not more so, than what you are asking about. Sure. And by failing to control for these issues and just assuming everything will all wash out, they are then abandoning any effort to try to ask the question correctly. So it does raise this question. If everything you're saying is the case, why are we seeing or why is it being reported that the hospitals are being overwhelmed with COVID? So uh, that's actually that's a really great question. And I so. Part of the answer is going to be that I, I honestly am not sure. Uh, but one of the things that we did see earlier in the pandemic was that there was a massive spike in COVID beds being used when the hospitals changed their policy regarding COVID testing. Okay. So they had started, uh, but because before they had not been testing every person that came in. Right. Once they had started testing everyone that came in, Meaning, even if it was for a broken arm or, or whatever. If you came in for COVID, you got tested from the beginning. But if you came in for a hip replacement, you didn't get tested in the beginning. But then at some point, the hospitals are testing every person who walks in the door, whether they're there with COVID symptoms so they or are not. More, there are more patients with COVID. There are not more COVID patients. Correct. Potentially. Okay. Uh, but the, the, the thing is, is that it's, again, it's hard to say. I'm not sure exactly what all of the hospital's policy are, but, but that is at least a theory that have, makes sense okay, to me. Well, the other question I have is there's some memory hole that's going on here because I remember everyone saying it was going to spike in the winter. Yes, and how could you everyone not- said that. Was there no prep for that? And so the numbers really are very similar to what we saw at the height the truth uh, during, is it didn't. during the second right. during the second the first the first run up the spike hit about the same numbers in hospitalizations now keeping in mind the state still does not include uh, the surge beds in their total count. That is available beds that can be used. So they still run the numbers showing that uh, exempted out. So you end up with a higher proportion of beds filled because they're not counting a big chunk, which they did count before June 1st right. when the state changed its policy on what beds they would count. We are now approaching, however, the, the height of the numbers that we were seeing at the height of the last surge. So if I may, to make this a little clearer, um, currently... Arizona Department of Health Services is listing 8,625 total licensed inpatient beds. Uh uh, And they're saying that uh, of those, 7,781 are filled with COVID patients and all other issues. Mm -hmm. The COVID patients make up a a little under half of that total. But that would mean if you were to look raw at, at the Arizona Department of Health Services website that you would see and be told that only 9% of inpatient beds are free. However... Arizona Department of Health Services is still not including 2,600 extra surge beds. So if you add those back in, the empty rate goes up to 30%. There you go. There you go. There's a kicker here, but we can come back to that later. Real quick. We need to be talking about staffing capacity yes. for these de- right. these beds, and that would be the responsibility of the medical companies, right. not God, you know, increasing the amount of virus out there. These are the things that they need to be doing right. to help and us. could have prepared for. Yep. Exactly, but exactly. are not. Six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. We'll be right back. Uh, 
I have I have so much to say about what took place during this break, and I will say it later. But first, let me put in a good word for our friends at Balance of Nature. It really is my favorite product I've ever taken or endorsed. I'm delighted to be able to do both. Tens of thousands of vital nutrients in one daily dose. Ten servings of 31 different fruits and vegetables in their unique cold press process that locks all their fruits and veggies into their vegetarian capsules. Just take it once a day and you're good to go. And they have a great deal offering free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code BALANCE. Gentlemen, so was there one more point you wanted to make about the uh, lethality, the mortality rate? Sure. So one of the issues that that perhaps people are wondering about is why we are seeing a trend over time towards decreased lethality, Mm -hmm. particularly when, as is continually bandied about, we are seeing large dramatic spikes in cases and it must be the end of the world. And there, there are several reasons for this, potentially. So the first reason could be that we have a pool of susceptible people here in, the, in Arizona and elsewhere, and that as the disease sort of circulates throughout the population, it eliminates those that are most susceptible early. And the Darwin then, effect sort of thing. Exactly. And then later on, then you have fewer susceptible sure. people who can then get the virus. And so that could be a reason. There's another sort of Darwinian reason that you might see this as well, and it has to do with the selective pressures of infectious disease. So as time goes on, typically when you you see a new outbreak like this, you actually do get a a tremendous selective pressure towards less lethal variants of the disease simply because those variants that are are overly lethal that in fact cause many, many deaths very, very quickly – their their hosts then don't live long enough to continually spread the disease effectively. And so that variant or strain is over a long time horizon eliminated from the population. And that's not an unusual philosophy, by the way, folks. The, 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 the study of infectious diseases proves that out pretty regularly. As HIV infected a population, the virulence of that uh, disease got less and less over time. You mean the lethality, lethality of the disease? The virulence you. is the spread Yeah, rate. thank you, Lou. Uh, the, the lethality, the mortality. <laughs> you should uh, see Lou's face. Uh, he's <laughs> beaming. And in fact, during this pandemic, he gets smarter and I get dumber the more I talk. Uh, and it's proved up. But not po- just during the pandemic. Yeah, that's exactly. a regular thing. Yeah, okay. So the point is that that's not unusual, that diseases go through this process precisely for what Lou said is that people who get the disease and if it's a, a very uh, the, a lethal version of it, it kills off the people who get that so fast yeah. that they don't spread it. Sure, sure, sure. And then one the, of, the last one. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, a couple more. Yeah. One is, of course, we've actually gotten pretty good in the healthcare yeah. side. Folks finally realize, oh, we're going to run out of ventilators. Ventilation is a bad idea, they yeah. found out. Oh, don't do that. Right. Well, you know, the first... Uh, Five months of this uh, pandemic, everybody was talking about why we need more ventilators and how crucial it is, only to learn that by using those regularly, we were killing people. Huh. It's absolutely right. You know, as time has gone on, we've understood how to treat the disease more effectively. And even as hospitalizations increase, you know, the the lethality of the disease in the hospital as a result of care then is is declining significantly. I've got to say something. And that's about, proved in the numbers. I've got to say something about the... Um, vaccine issue. Because I saw today on NBC, MSNBC with Chuck Todd, he was interviewing a um, 
epidemiologist. And the epidemiologist said, once the va- even once you take the vaccine, if you are lucky enough or fortunate enough to receive it before the holidays or New Year, I still recommend you don't travel because you can still get infected and die. Is this never going to end? <laughs> once you get it, you can still get infected and die, he tells us. The virus. Part of the issue has to do with the vaccine's uh, uh, makeup. It is not like our typical program where we use a weakened version of a virus uh, or uh, infective agent. It is using this, the protein shell. Uh, correct. Right. A protein from the virus to cause the immune response to create the immunity to the entire virus. And my graver concern, and please don't take this as somebody advocating that people not take the vaccine. You have to make those decisions in your own interest and based on what you think. But there are lots of horror scenarios that come out of this. No, I don't believe, looking at all the medical journals, uh, my wife being a physician, I get stacks of them and read them, uh, that your DNA is going to get changed. Please don't write Seth for that. It's my fault if you disagree with me. But but there are going to be concerns raised. And my graver concern about this is if we have bad outcomes with any segment of the population on which this has not been sufficiently tested because we're moving so fast, that it will then provide a bad uh, bad reputation for vaccines sure. generally. And we'll sure. end up with the uh, anti-vaccination sure. folks gaining Even traction stronger. in a way sure. that will be, I think, devastating to our health care. Sure. That's actually a really great point, and it's something that I wanted to focus on a little bit about the vaccine development. Can we do the- it on the other side of this break? Absolutely. Yeah, and take some calls. Yeah, let's. Yeah, and we'll and and we'll get to our callers too. On what do I have on the way to the break? Let me put in a word for my friend James Wexler. If you're in the real estate market, either to buy or sell a house, you want James Wexler of JMG Real Estate. He's got a private database of homes that will soon be going on the market. He has a proprietary state-of-the-art marketing technology. If you are selling, he can guarantee to sell your home at market value or pay the difference. Get this: James Wexler is the only realtor in Scottsdale with over 500 five-star reviews. That's unheard of. Over 500 five-star reviews. Give James Wexler a call at 480-386-0711 or visit him online at james.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Hugh and Lewis Hallman uh, with us. We were talking a little bit about the vaccines, and you wanted to make a couple more points on it. Yes. Right. So the issue that we have is this, the the vastly accelerated timeline that we've been seeing with the vaccine development. Now, in and of itself, this may not be an issue, but it does raise at least a few reasonable concerns as to the behavior and the effects of the vaccine. So the big issue that that I have is that up until I think about a month, month and a half ago, the only trials that we actually had had sample sizes of under 100 people, uh, which is not enough to really tell you much other than it doesn't seem to be obviously lethal right now. Um, but my worry is that it will affect different subpopulations yes. differently. Yes. And so the, the issue is that then is that you need a very, very large and very robust sample size and putting this this kind of thing together takes a lot of time. Maybe so, this phase one delivery is that sample size. You know, in, in many in many regards, it, it may as well be. Alex Berenson has been all over this on Twitter. He's been trying to get Pfizer and AstraZeneca and the other ones to really answer some serious right. questions. Release the data. But, yeah. but so here's, here's the issue. Let me see if I can put it this way. Okay. If it takes you a sample of a thousand people to figure out that the virus is generally not lethal 
to the overall population, how large of a sample do you then need to ensure that it's not lethal to people above the age of 75? Or you said virus and you meant vaccine. Excuse me. Yes, the, va- right, that's, the vaccine. Yes. Right. Um, you know, how, how many people do you need to test to ensure that all of your under 20s right. are safe? Because, right. for instance, if the outcome from the vaccine is marginally worse than the virus for a subset, we may not know that until later. Well, so, let me let me stop you right there. I, I think I wrote that said this yesterday. I was looking at a few articles about this. Um Fever and muscle pain, that's what the Wall Street Journal says are the side effects of the COVID vaccine. And nobody the, expects the side effects of right. the COVID vaccine. The Arizona Republic yesterday said joint and muscle aches. The FDA website says, quote, the most commonly reported side effects, which typically lasted several days, were pain at the injection site, tiredness, headache, muscle pain, chills, joint pain, and fever. Effectively, the symptoms of COVID-19. I thought that's what you got if you were under 75 and had COVID. (laughs) Now, 40% or so may be asymptomatic cases. We could be in a situation where the vaccine is worse than having had COVID. And so... For a subset of the population. Yeah, for for a subset. Yeah. And the the challenge we'll face is that um, for somebody who has fever, chills, body aches, um, and uh, headache. Uh, that is for a large chunk of the people who are symptomatic, those are the symptoms. Right. And it lasts two or three days. Right. That's the largest chunk of the people who get symptoms. Right. We still, the data is still really bad, but it's as high as 80% who are asymptomatic. Maybe it's as low as 50%. Right. Hard to tell, but it's somewhere in a fairly high positive number. That looks a lot like what's happening with people who get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So effectively, my gut would be, and I have no idea because the, the data that's coming out that's available is still so sketchy Scant, because the, yeah. the companies that are making the, the vaccines do not want to release their secrets. Right. And it's not about lethality. It's about they don't want people to rip off right. what they discovered because right. they're now going to try to make up for the capital costs. And in, so that's the issue we're facing, that. If it is the case that you have the very similar results in terms of the vaccine versus the virus itself and getting the disease, as Lewis points out, we don't maybe have enough data on the subsets of our population to tell if we now go, as is the plan, you're first going to vaccinate doctors and nurses and other people in hospitals, and and then you're going to go to care centers, congregate homes, care centers for people 65, 75, and 85 and over. And that's where Lewis's point is so powerful. I think Native American populations, uh, reservations are part of this when it comes to Arizona. And I think also, too, maybe homeless. And you're looking at populations that that have been at greatest risk, the most compromised, greatest at risk, and have had the the worst outcomes from COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2. If I can rephrase my point slightly, it's it's really this. It's that in statistics, there's there's this concept that we have that, that is that selection occurs on the tails, which means that the most extreme events are the ones that typically determine behavior. So in COVID, a lot right. of the reaction has been to the, the tail case right. where we have you know, uh, uh, yes. basically mortality. Right. Uh, right. Uh, people Someone who are 65 and over, right. it's still 72% of all the deaths in Arizona are of people 65, 65 and over. And the broad point that we're making here is that we don't have enough data on the testing side of these vaccines accurately to assess what the tail of these distributions look like. What are the worst side effects from the, you know, it's, 
I, I don't think that it's likely as bad as the disease, certainly not at the general level. But I am, there is at least a possibility that for some people, large-scale vaccination might be counterproductive. Mm-hmm. But we have no ability to assess and look at that because our, our testing and trial data is Well, so it's limited. already being told that, <coughs> excuse me, we're already being told that on NBC Today by an epidemiologist who said, even if you get the vaccine, I'm telling you not to travel. Because it, you can still get infected, and we're already working against ourselves. And that's this. one person's opinion, and that's why we we sit around and gather massive piles of data so we can see what the trends really are looking like, and not have to listen to one person's or another right. person's opinion. We're trying to triangulate what the reality is, right? Of course. And the reporting that's going on from bad data sets that Lewis spoke of is then getting echoed out there by people who are ter- telling a narrative that they want that narrative to continue. And the worst thing that we would have is the hope that a vaccine will help us get back to normalcy. They're already up- downplaying it themselves by that NBC report. Yeah, exactly. Of course they would. Yeah. And, and in this instance, getting back to normalcy requires that this vaccine come out the right way. Yeah. And my concern is if we have a few bad outcomes, that's going to get reported right, in that's a way the that's... Tail. What's that, the, that, the phenomenon called? Selection occurs at the tail. There you go. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's been a delight having the Hallmans. If you didn't get on today, give us a call tomorrow. Uh, we'll uh, put you right on. Uh, Lewis, some concluding thoughts here. So the the big thing that's rattling around in my mind right now as we, we sit and think of this uh, is we're told over and over and over again that we need to be quiet and listen to our experts. But my question is, what do we do in the event that these experts are revealed to be not just incompetent, but grossly incompetent, and not just misleading, but outright liars in many instances. How do we, as a society, move forward from this? Because it appears to me that our social contract is being rewritten right in front of our eyes with none of our consent and none of our buy-in. You know, where we are now, I think, would have been unimaginable nine months ago in terms of the loss of our civil liberties. How does that resonate with you? Well, uh I think the notion that all scientists are somehow ethically and morally pure and have no motivation outside of doing the right thing fails to keep in mind that a number of important scientists and physicians in uh, even recent human history were the leaders who gave us the most grotesque atrocities known to mankind. Joseph Mengele was a highly regarded scientist and physician who then led uh, Nazi Germany to destroy millions of people. Scientists are not somehow uh, uniquely pure. And I would continue to address all of these issues uh, to preserve liberty and freedom by applying a healthy skepticism. Skepticism is the uh, discernment that uh, facts may not be true. Healthy skepticism is asking really hard questions about things that are matter and important, and that I ask the questions doesn't mean I'm somehow crazy. It means that it's important to us to know how will these vaccines impact the very most vulnerable among us, and we don't have enough information about that to really have a good answer. And that concerns me. One of the smartest neurosurgeons I ever knew, I once asked him um, what was the secret to his success. He said, every time an expert told me something, I always asked them to prove it to me. 
I don't think there's anything. Prove it. Prove it. Next time Fauci says something, someone should say, prove it. Hallman's, God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth. Class dismissed.